Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. Now, last week, Julia Lee pointed out that stocks that report well and then are bought solidly after reporting usually do well in the period after. So I've asked Julia Lee of Burn Invest and Doors of Shore and Partners to give us their best three stocks that fit this bill of reporting well and the market then buying the stock. Then we've been followed up by the CEO of Tyro Payments, Robbie Cook. Uh, I've interviewed him uh, earlier today. And I want to see, it, the company reported pretty well and the, and the market uh, saw the, the share price go up over the week. Interesting to see what he sees for the company going forward. Then Paul Rickard will look at some great income stocks he looked at a few months ago to see if they've actually delivered now reporting season has come. And it hasn't quite, quite gone, we've got one more week to go for reporting season. But before we start, uh, today, a host of stocks actually pay dividends and often a payment of a dividend leads to a stock price fall to the extent of that dividend. So if these are any of the stocks that are in your, your portfolio, their share price might be down today, but it might be because of dividends. I've actually put them here in a table and I've actually shown you what the analysts think lies ahead for these companies. So Woodside, 29%, Ansell, 21.6%. These are what the stock prices might do in the future. This is the, the best guess by experts who track these companies. Beach Petroleum up 32%, Challenger down 7%, Credit Corp up 6.6%, Babcorp up 19%, Evolution Mining 5.6% up, Latitude Group 32%, Infomedia 26%, and VGI Partners was not surveyed. So that's it. Let's go to Julia Lee right now and see what her favorite three stocks are out of reporting season. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. All right, so this whole program has been, been basically designed on something you said last week, how companies that report well and the market then buys the stock and likes the stock, they have quite a good history of performing well after that. It, it, that's pretty well the story. That is a story. Reporting season is important because of that reason. And that is that companies that report well, they tend to uh, do well six months after reporting season as well. And the reason for that is I think we get an idea around the outlook for the business. So those companies where there is earnings momentum happening, the share price momentum continues onwards and upwards. Okay. Um, before I, I go to you and ask you those three companies, I guess that we, we do get unusual situations, don't we, where some companies are performing brilliantly because of something unusual like lockdowns. And we have to think, well, in six months time or 12 months time, will the lockdown advantage be taken away for those companies as well? That's another thing that has to be considered when you look at that, that general uh, pattern of uh, stock prices. That's absolutely um, a great point. And that's one of the things I look at during reporting season. If we do see something bad or good come out, um, whether it is bad or good, so either sides of the spectrum, I like to ask myself, is this a once-off? Is this something that's going to be temporary or is it a forever type of situation? So um, I guess a big question that a lot of investors are asking asking themselves at the moment is that those COVID-19 stocks that have benefited, 
where the peak in earnings is likely to be. I mean, a good example of this um, was the travel companies. We know that there's been huge losses in terms of the travel industry. Yet last week, we saw Qantas's share price up by 20%. We saw Flight Center's share price up by around about 20% as well. So obviously, the market is forward looking. And the big question is, you know, in one year's time, looking back on this period, what are you going to wish you had bought? Yeah, okay. So let's go to the, the three that have stood out for you. Uh, we had car sales, um, and I like the car sales result. Um, importantly, not only did we see um, momentum in terms of its core business, which is Australia, so earnings was up by around about 20%, but also there were a few changes coming. The direct-to-customer, which means that dealer groups will be able to sell used cars direct-to-customer and pay a transaction fee. I think that's really going to expand the market for car sales. It's going to mean that car sales can offer other things to uh, car dealers, which is a major part of its business so I think that's a positive a disappointing part was the South Korean market where there has been um, a lot of investment but it didn't really pay dividends but I think in the current financial year that's where we're going to see the um, I guess it fruiting um, and hopefully it will be good for the, the the next 12 to 18 months there so look I think there's a number of measures in place there for car sales which means that the momentum will continue an important date to look out for is its AGM in a couple of weeks a couple of months time um, where we should get a bit more of an outlook on Traders Interactive and that's the US platform where it owns a 49% stake but we know that car sales momentum has been good and look a few tweaks in terms of its platform means that I think that moment, momentum is going to continue. Okay that's your first one what's your second one? Uh, I guess having a look across the market, another one that we owned was WiseTech. So that was a, a, a great performer during reporting season. And we know that logistics has been very much in focus because of COVID-19. So look, I think all those acquisitions that WiseTech has made over the last two to three years is now starting to pay off. And of course, given um, the state of COVID-19, the logistics business at the moment where we are seeing holdups at ports and also um, shipping rates just absolutely going through the roof, it means there's a lot more emphasis in terms of understanding the logistics product cycle as well as keeping track of things. So uh, WiseTech doing well there and uh, liking that result going through. So still holding on to uh, some of those WiseTech shares, although we did take some of that profit when it was apparent that there probably was a bit of short covering on the day because the shares did surge 50% on the day that they came out with their results. And the last one, I think- um, before, before you get there, before you go there, because the interesting thing about WiseTech was that the, the market was influenced by, I think, at least one hedge fund report and short sellers who really said these guys have bought too much and they haven't sort of culturally synced all these businesses in. I guess it's, it's taken time, but I think the companies proved the doubt is wrong. I don't think short sellers have been having a great couple of years. I mean, if you think about some of the short seller targets, uh, for the Aussie share market, there's been WiseTech, there's been Technology One, there's been Rural Funds, um, Corporate Travel, travel. <laughs> and all of these companies have been doing quite well. So, um, look, it hasn't been the best type of market for those short sellers, but certainly an, an interesting one because of that. But I think let logistics is very much in the spotlight at the moment, um, yeah. even the port problems, the shipping rates going through the roof, and of course, a lot more people looking at ordering things from overseas because we're um, internet shopping at the moment. 
Okay, so what's your, your lucky third one? Yeah, I think um, having a look across the wealth business, Hub24 actually came out with some good results and it looks like there's some strong momentum in terms of the share price. Probably holding back its business a little bit is where the cash rate is. But as we see the cash rate starting to rise, that should be a positive for these its business. So I think it was a, a very good performer in terms of this reporting season. And I think it's a business that will continue to grow because of the dislocation that we are seeing in the wealth industry with the big four banks continuing to, to get out of that space. Um, and of course, players like AMP and IOOF also being impacted negatively. So look, I think this is a space that will continue to grow. And the kick is going to come, I think, when we start to see the uh, cash rates rising. Yeah. Um, coming up after you, I'm interviewing uh, Robbie Cook, the CEO of Tyro, and Tyro reported reasonably well last week and also went up. Uh, what, what's your, your current view on Tyro? Yeah, I think Tyro is definitely a part of that reopening trade and it is seeing a, a bit of money flowing through. So we are seeing once again a rotation into some of those reopening plays, whether it's Tyro or Essentia, which owns Westwood shopping centres here in Australia, or whether it's the travel businesses. So I think that's something for investors to keep a close eye on, because if we do see uh, things reopening back up in September, October, and travel once again being on the cards in December, January, that's obviously going to be a game changer in terms of the earnings and the revenue momentum in these companies. Yeah, certainly um, when lockdowns are eventually over, a lot of us will be going to restaurants and pubs. Oh, I can't wait, Pete. <laughs> and that's why I think a company like Tyro will be a beneficiary, but we might have to wait a while. Julia Lee, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, joining me now is the CEO of Tyro Payments, Robbie Cook. Robbie, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Peter. Lovely to be here. So last week, Tyro's share price rose all last week, up over 11% for the week, uh, which is always a good sign when a company reports and the, and the market remains positive over the, the, the course of the respective week. Um, uh, some analysts out there think you have 14% upside. Two out of the, of the four analysts on FN Arena think you have 20% upside. And I know that's not anything that you have any control over, but I guess my question to you is, what are the good stories out there that you're you know, taking to market about what Tyra is going to look like over the next six to 12 months? Good question, Peter. And look, absolutely, bigger brains than mine work out the share price. But look, in terms of what we're doing in the business, and I think um, we haven't changed what, we, you know, what we've said we were going to do since the IPO back in December 2019. Um, but yeah, obviously, the business had a, a few, cho few choppy water moments in the last, uh, last 12 months. So I think we've navigated those well, and I'm happy to talk about those a little bit. But in terms of the business and the opportunity for us, you know, we, we are quite different to a lot of other payment companies um, that are out there globally and domestically. So we're, we're, we're competing against the four major banks predominantly for our payments business. 
And the reason why we believe that we've got a great opportunity in front of us is that we have a proprietary technology platform that drives our payment solution. So we are able to um, focus on the verticals that we're looking at and produce solutions which are right for them. So, you know, we've been very focused on health, hospitality and retail verticals to date, and we've managed to produce payment solutions which are bespoke or customised to those verticals. So in my view, so long as we as a team keep on focusing on that uniqueness, uh, we're well placed to continue taking more market share. And we called out in the result, you know, in terms of the card present and card not present market in Australia, we have a 3.8% share of the total market. So there's plenty of opportunity there still to be had, so long as we execute well and we keep doing what we've been well regarded for over the last 19 years, which is building really good payment solutions for Australian businesses. Now, one thing you wouldn't have had in your business plan two years ago was lockdowns. Um, and what was, the, what was the cost to growth of the lockdowns in New South Wales and Victoria in particular to the company's uh, progress? Yeah, and look, lockdowns have been incredibly different, difficult for our merchants. And you know, we, we are you know, predominantly working with SMEs. And as I've said, sort of in, you know, 45% of those are in the hospitality space. So really did get impacted, you know, go back to March, April last year, we saw um, incredible volatility in our business. And, you know, that's reflective of the, the, the pain that our merchants were experiencing. So we, 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 we navigated that with our merchants. We tried to do everything we could do to help our merchants through that period. So we did things like, you know, um, where people had loans with us, we gave um, re relief from repayments for through the period, we did terminal rental free periods and you know, did everything we could do in our power to help merchants through that. But the thing that we noticed was, you know, as those, as those lockdowns were lifted, um, business did rebound quite quickly. So, so I remain very optimistic about the outlook. I know it's really tough in New South Wales at the moment, but I think as that vaccination rate starts getting to that 70% mark and people are let out in the wild again, um, there will be a pent-up demand there that will, will come through quite quickly, in my view. But also, you know, the thing that we've noticed, and not for all our merchants, but for a number of our merchants, they've evolved through this process. So a lot of restaurants now, you know, really focus on that takeout piece So and, and found ways to do that more economically. So rather than necessarily relying on you know, Uber Eats and Deliveroo, et cetera, they've found ways to tap into their existing audience of loyal customers and doing takeaway so that's, that's been really interesting. I mean, it's not as, you know, each order is probably less than they get from a patron in venue, but they're getting, some venues are getting the same amount of orders in that lockdown period as they would in, in the, you know, the normal world. So it's, it's fascinating, right, to just watch how business has evolved and adapted to the change in circumstance. But I'm not for one moment downplaying the impact. It's been pretty significant. For a lot of our merchants and you can see it in our weekly our weekly updates we put out to the market just how volatile you made me uh, recognize that one plus of this lockdown experience has been i haven't been, been forced to give 10 percent tip every time i went to a restaurant <laughs> very true <laughs> although you could still do it now right <laughs> yeah, i still could do it but i'm not i must admit i look forward to the time when i can quite frankly um you had a problem with uh, a terminal issue um I think it was around probably what Christmas of last year. Fifth of January. I'll never forget the date, Peter. That's right. And then, of course, you had a, a what what you later described as a, an unfair hedge fund report 
where you nominated 10 mistakes that that head funds report made, but the market uh, was informed, uh, I think 11 o'clock on a fr Friday, I think it was, and you were clobbered. Um, has that, A, have you gone top of all your technology issues, and B, is, what's your view on what hedge funds can do to a company? Yeah, well, two great, great questions. Look, in terms of the, the the event, I mean, it was a connectivity incident with some of our terminals, and it was on one bit of kit that we don't develop ourselves. So, but that's not an excuse, right? At the end of the day, um, we step, we leaned in, um, and we did what we said we'd do, which was number one, get you know, the the um, nineteen percent of our merchants who were impacted fully back up and running as quickly as we could, and so that was a prime focus of the team, and that was. Now, that was all-encompassing. And then as we call out when it happened, our focus for the second half is going to be just making sure that we, we did the right thing, that we actually, that any of our merchants who suffered a financial impact from that event, we invited them to register with us and we've worked through their claims and I'm pleased to say, you know, we've got 85% of the people who've lodged claims with us um, resolved and we're working on the balance at, at pace. So that, I mean, that was a tough period for the business and definitely, you know, 18 years of running, never had an event like that. So it really did rub against the grain for the whole team. And it was something, you know, was really uncomfortable for us. And we've now got our um, dongle solution in development, which will provide an extra failover point for merchants. So that's an industry first move. And so we're really pleased with doing that. Look, in terms of the short seller attack, I look, the market, that, that's part of the market, right? I mean, and anybody's entitled to have a view on a company. So I've got no gripe with that. And whenever there's a, you know, whenever there's a buyer, there's a seller. So again, don't have a problem with short sellers. I mean, that's just part of the dynamic of the market. What, apologies for the dogs in the background, the, the joys of COVID. Yeah. Um, but the, the, uh, the, the, the thing I had an issue with was just that we had such a um, amount of errors in those in that report, and that's the thing. You know, it created you've got that moment in time where you've got a report in market, and you're trying to deal with it and respond to it, and that made it very difficult for us. Yeah. Well, let's just hope um, in the future we in the media are a little bit more um, careful about reports from that particular group of people. Anyway, let's go to the next one. Um, the the big positive stories ahead, obviously reopening. End of lockdowns, all very good. Are there, are there any other stories that people should take on board, which might explain why some analysts have a very positive view on the company? Well, look, a couple, couple of things. And I think um, we announced that we did our uh, alliance with Bendigo Bank back in October last year. And that's been a big piece of work. So a large amount of technical work and operational changes to accommodate that. So that's something super proud of. Um, it brought 18,000 new merchants to the Tyro portfolio, so you know, large, and in terms of transaction value that represents on an annualized basis, an extra $5 billion in transaction value. So, you know, end of FY20, we're doing about 20, um, 20 billion. So, and, and we grew organically um, to 25.5 billion for FY21. In that $25.5 billion, there's about 440 million from Bendigo. So one month of Bendigo. So that's a, you know, a large piece of new business in the portfolio. So we're very um, positive about that. And you know, that's that's a, been a transformational um, piece of activity in the business. The other one, which I'm very excited about is the Medipass business, which we bought in, uh, in end of May. So Medipass was a health FinTech and they basically developed some very good tech in terms of digital claiming in for health practitioners. So 
Um, whereas Tyro had been very effective in the card present piece for private health insurance and Medicare Easy Claim, what MediPass has done is the card not present piece, so sort of uh, e-commerce, if you like, claiming, and very much focused on other funding avenues. So things like um, workers' compensation schemes, so WorkCover Queensland, iCare in New South Wales, MDIS. So quite a large amount of health is funded through those alternate funding channels, which we didn't have a presence in. So bringing MediPass on board and combining our health business with the MediPass business so that we've got a much um, more fulsome um, set of claiming rails, if you like, for, um, for health practitioners, puts us in a position where I think we can develop the leading um, health uh, claims and payment solutions for Australia. So that's exciting. Yeah, that's, and it's a certainly a growth industry, the health industry, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, we, we, we presume that New South, and you've already inferred, New South Wales Victoria has been hard for the, for the company because of lockdowns. What have the other states been like? I know I, I was lucky to escape to Port Douglas for a week before New South Wales went into lockdown. And there was a lot of spending going on there by me. They, a lot of people couldn't get to Port Douglas because Victoria was in lockdown. But have the other states become, uh, have they shown growth, those other states? Yeah, look, and again, it's it's interesting when you look across the portfolio because New South Wales is normally our largest state by transaction value. So normally it would be around about 42, 43% of our transaction value. So for FY21, it was about 37%. So it dropped down a bit. Our most strongly growing states um, in terms of growth rate, the Queensland and Western Australia, both around that sort of high 39, 38% mark. So the states that did um, you know, sort of quarantine themselves and haven't had lockdowns unsurprisingly have seen um, stronger growth rates. But I look, uh, bottom line is, um, as I sort of said before, once New South Wales frees up again, there will be such pent up demand there that I think you'll see um, you know, nice recoveries across the whole portfolio. Um, now, this is just me thinking out loud here, Robbie and you probably might want to dodge it. But when I saw the Square Afterpay thing happening, I thought to myself, why wouldn't Tyro and Zip think about getting together? Because, you know, Square is a rival for you and Afterpay is a rival for Zip. Um, and, you know, have you guys started thinking about that at least? Oh, look, Peter, I, I, I couldn't comment on anything we're looking at. But look, but, but, but I do look at the Square Afterpay transaction. I don't normally comment on um, what competitors have done, but you know, I think in terms of the US opportunity for Afterpay, that is um, a phenomenal partnership, and I think it'll it'll work very well for them. Um, I don't particularly see it changing the payments dynamic for us in Australia. Right. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, good answer, Robbie. Nicely sidestep. The Broncos might hire you for the. Uh, for the uh, Five eight roll next year, but on the other on the point of Square, because Square is a rival of you guys. What do you, what do you think is your competitive advantage over Square here in Australia? Yeah, and look, the payments business is hyper competitive. I mean, there are a huge amount of competitors. So if you if you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen. I'd say, look, this is and I, I enjoy the competitive nature of payments because it absolutely keeps you on your toes. In terms of our solution, because we are an Australian business and we're focused on Australian companies and we're building solutions that are right for Australian SMEs, that is a big point of differentiation. So that's one aspect. 
The other one is that we work agnostically with 320 different point of sale system providers, which is something that's quite unique compared to players like Square who have their own sort of point of sale solution. So that's different. Um, but look, we, we are absolutely competing with the four major banks, Square, and there's a raft of others that we compete against as well. Okay. One last, one final question. You, know, you, you have a banking license. You do provide banking services to small business. You know, is, there a, is there a goal that you become a major influencer and supporter of the small business community generally, not just providing payments, but all the other stuff? I've seen some of your ads, which you know, surprised me. It looked like you were sort of saying, we can be more than just a payment solution to small businesses. Is this a long range goal or, or a current goal? Look, absolutely in the sense that we do have a full banking license. Our point of differentiation though, we, we don't see ourselves as fully banking an SME because look, we appreciate the fact that most SMEs probably have got a mortgage over their home and that's probably with one of the big four or, you know, or, or a regional bank. Um, and that's not the space we play in, but where we can provide banking solutions that are different, um, we will. And really for us, it's about providing ancillary products around that payments relationship. So if, if we can provide like our merchant cash advance loan, which is a great product and really built for SMEs. So that's something that's quite unique. The majors don't provide a product like that. So if we can provide banking products, which are really going to help SMEs, uh, we will. For example, our, our transaction bank account, fee-free interest paying, that's something that's quite, you know, quite refreshingly different from what's out there in the market at the moment. So they're the sorts of things you'll see us do more and more of as the years go on. And, and, and do you think you've, you've done um, a, a big effort in marketing those really good products to the wider small business community? Probably not as well as we could today. But we've done a, our, our team's done a, an amazing job in building our brand awareness out. So it's sitting now at 20% on a prompted basis. So that jumped from 14% a year ago. So that's great. But I still think there's a lot of opportunity for us to A, build out those banking solutions and B, to get people more widely aware that we have them, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us, mate, and good luck with the year ahead. Um, I'm not only an interested observer, I am a shareholder as well, so I'm really happy that uh, you've come back from that um, shellacking from the hedge fund uh, uh, earlier this year. Thanks, Peter. Enjoyed it. Thanks for the time. Cheers. And that was Robbie Cook, the CEO of Tyro Payments. Now joining me is Adam Dawes from Shuron Partners. Adam, how are you? Very well, thank you, Peter. Yourself? Very good. Very good, mate. And I asked you to nominate three companies that you thought had reported well and the market liked what they saw and the share price went up. There's a bit of a history there, isn't it? Those sort of companies often do have a, a good period after reporting. Yeah, absolutely, especially in earnings upgrade or in an upgrade cycle. Mm, yeah, okay. So let's go for those three companies that you think really fit the bill. Yeah, look, uh, the first one that I uh, wanted to talk about was Domino's Pizzas. And look, that has certainly done very, very well after their results, mainly because of everyone's stuck at home. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, people are sick and tired of cooking and they might as well keep the kids happy by buying a, a couple of pizzas. So yeah, I think Domino's has done very well. They've strategically placed themselves in that no contact, easy uh, to afford, those kinds of things. 
and that's doing really wonders for their business. So that was the first one that I liked for that upgrade cycle, and the stock has gone higher since they've reported. But, but I guess some people will be saying, right, you know, this was a company that I think was around $60, and I think Don had, had, had you know, some uh, issues, uh, family issues, and yep. their price went down then, I think only for about one year, but then it rebounded uh, brilliantly, and he's kept on driving that company higher, but the share price now was 100 and... 50, 155, something, and, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if if we get out of lockdown eventually in 2022, yep. will the market say, oh, well, you know, we, we won't eat pizza as much as we did, therefore it may well come off the boil? Potentially, yes, absolutely. That, that is absolutely fair. However, uh, these guys very much are very technology-driven, and I think that's what separated themselves from a lot of the other pizza yep. delivery people, you know, crust and, and these ones. Mm. But also it's their store dominance that they've got. They're around sort of most corners, um, they actually place themselves quite uh, comfortably in lower socioeconomic areas also because their pizzas are quite cheap. I mean, there's only two or three toppings in a bit of dough, but, you know, that that kind of stuff I think works well for people. Uh, you know, $5 pizzas, I think it, it sits well in any kind of environment, whether it's good or bad. So, look, I think Domino's should continue to do well. It's a very well-run business. And plus they've got those international arms at Japan, Japan. Uh, they've talked about other areas that they're expanding out to. So I think that will definitely drive revenue also. Yeah, they, they keep uh, expanding in those unusual areas like Japan and France and Europe. Yeah. A lot of people are surprised, but it's the Australian master franchise all that actually has got these different territories. I think yeah, they're, they're probably well. showing the Americans how to do it, quite frankly. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Let's go to the, the second stock you like. Yeah, James Hardy was my second stock. I think this one is a, is a fantastic business. We certainly, they have had their checkered past, as mm -hmm. you know, you potentially might well point out. But I think uh, certainly James Hardy with an upgrade that they came from their US business or their building and manufacturing business there in the US has absolutely kicked a lot of goals. Now, we've seen other companies like Borrell try and go overseas and come back with their tail between their legs. Uh, Adbury, which is Adelaide, Brighton, ABC, they haven't done so well in that space, but they've, we've even saw some building downgrades come from the Australian-centric ones just the other day. So I think James Hardy is a really standout business inside of that, especially for that US growth and especially for the ability for them to run their business. So, yeah, there's another one that has done very, very well after the result. Okay, let's go for your third one then. This one's a little bit different, Peter. I thought I'd throw something in there that's a little bit more environmentally friendly, you know, minus pizzas and, and, and cement and building materials. But this one is called Calyx. Calyx is a, um, a business where it takes heat out of manufacturing, heat out of cement manufacturing to be exact. And there's a lot of other uh, ex, um, uses for it. But certainly Calyx is a small speculative stock. We've got a buy on it, Shaw and Partners. That's one did upgrade when they reported a couple of days ago and the share price has continued to go higher on the back of that. I think the ESG theme plus where the, the royalties that they'll get from some of these European operations, I think is a fantastic one. We've got to buy on it and I think it's a fan, yeah, it's a great business. What's the ticket code for this one? Uh, CXL is the code. Is it a, is it a um, moderate sized company or, or very small? No, we're, we're, in the, we're in the small speculative area of the market there. So you, yeah, buyer beware on that one. Um, mm. But that has some really great royalties coming through over the next two to five years. And that should definitely underpin the share price. Okay. So they're, they're the three that have stand out. What else do you want, have you liked in reporting season? Um, well, I, 
yeah, likes. I mean, it's probably if I could do the likes as well as then the, uh, the dislikes. But the likes is absolutely the dividends that the companies have been bringing back to shareholders. And, and we certainly saw that with Fortescue, BHP, Rio, um, you know, uh, Fortescue putting a $2.11 dividend today. Absolutely fantastic. And we knew those dividends were going to be strong. And we've talked about that on the show previously. But I look, I think overall, the, the amount of capital that is going to be returned, whether it's a buyback from Woolworths, um, there's been a yeah, fair few buybacks going on. Uh, capital return, Wes Farmers doing a $2 capital share return back to shareholders, uh, or the dividend has been lifted. And I think that's one of the likes that I've thought about this reporting season is, is that extra dividends that have come through into the market. Yeah. So it has two effects, doesn't it? On one hand, it's great for the economy. People feel wealthier. But a lot of the investors reinvest, don't they? So it should help mm. the stock market as well. Absolutely, as well as shareholders' balances as well, as it just nicely ticks higher as you get those incremental dividend repricings going or DRPs that are coming back into your book. Um, but, yeah, the, the dividends have just been unbelievable, especially in the resource. Even the banks have done well. They've come back to sort of normal dividends. Uh, and, and, yeah, a lot of the larger stocks really rewarding shareholders for their uh, patronage, as it were. Well, Adam, thanks for joining on the program. See you in a couple of weeks' time. Take care. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. And that was Adam Dawes from Shaw and Partners. Joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And Paul looked at a number of what he thought was income, good income paying stocks in the past and he's checked out how they've performed since he's uh, given them the nod. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Okay, so you've... We've done a bit of a study on some really good and reliable income paying stocks. Have they remained reliable? Have they kept on paying well? Well, they have, Peter, and I'm proud to say that um, look looks like the the, the 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 stocks they came up with have done very well. In fact, they've uh, they've all reported in the last couple of weeks. I thought I'd just double check to see uh, what we found out. The interesting thing about it, Peter, is, and I looked for stocks that are outside the banks and and Telstra. I looked for stocks that were in sort of you know not blue chip, but top 150 style companies, typically companies that uh, have a reasonably good dividend yield, usually franked, uh, usually fairly low volatility. So I, th I think of income stocks as hopefully stocks that don't move too, too much on the capital side. Probably means you don't make a lot of money, but uh, you know you, you get that certainty of the payout. And uh, I came up with five for, you know, about two months ago, just before just at the start of the financial year, I wanted to see how they'd reported. And in fact, what was interesting, Peter, is that they've um, uh, all bet, done better in terms of their dividend than with forecasts, which is not some just by a, a fraction, but that was encouraging. And secondly, maybe this reflects the market, maybe it reflects the brokers, but the valuations in each of the stocks has also increased. So uh, the consensus target price in each case has gone up over that period. Okay, why don't you give us... Give us three of them, and if people want to get the whole fire, they'll have to go and read the Switzer report. Well, the first one you may not think of an income stock. This, of course, is, is Amcor. Now, Amcor is a global packaging business. 
Uh, traditionally, it's done really well in terms of uh, on the growth side, but if you actually look at its share price, Peter, it's actually reasonably uh, unvolatile by market sense, and also uh, hasn't uh, been doing a lot. In other words, it's been trending up, but not a lot of downside risk. Uh, Amcor reported really well, and as a result of that, the market took it a couple of dollars higher. It's now in the 17s as opposed to the 15s. Um, the report was pretty much as expected, but they came out with a fairly bullish forecast in terms of uh, next year's um, target increase in earnings per share. They said that they had a lot of cash, they were doing a buyback, all the things you'd want from a company involved in packaging. And, and Amcor is probably a global leader in its space, Peter, mm. uh, and uh, a reasonably attractive dividend yield. Now, it is unfranked, but um, you know it's one of the stocks with paying a better yield, reports quarterly because it's a US company. Uh, but uh, the analysts like it, and they've all quite considerably raised their target prices. So I thought Amcor's got quite a bit of value still in it. Uh, for those people listening to say, well, what did they actually pay as a dividend? What year? Yeah, look, it's about 62 cents, uh, and that was on a share price of about $15. That's about 4%. Now, the share price has gone up now to about uh, $17.50, so we're sort of around about 3.5% level. That's unfranked. But uh, paid quarterly, pretty reliable. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, I guess in their business, um, you know, there's a lot of efforts going into, uh, you know, sustainable packaging because that's obviously a big trend as, uh, as, you know, a lot of pressure around from the whole ESG and particularly the environmental side. And, and Amcor's, uh, you know, one of those beneficiaries of a stronger global economy. Plus, you know, it's got a great client base and, and reasonably because a lot of it's involved in food and food packaging, it doesn't shift around too much if you get into a bad economic cycle. So um, that's why I think they're a pretty a stock you could almost look at like a, an income payer. Yeah, so and in a world of online purchasing, which has escalated since the coronavirus, they're really well placed to um, service it. Paul, what's your second one? Well, the second one is probably the other extreme. A company I've liked for a long time, uh, Medibank, Peter, as you know, uh, not because I'm a huge fan of health insurance, but um, the actual health insurance market in Australia is pretty measured. Um, it's got a lot of headwinds. It's also got tailwinds. And the thing I like about Medibank it, in a pretty unexciting, unglamorous type of industry is that Medibank has been growing market share. Now, there are about 40 health insurers in Australia. Medibank has the, uh, is, a, is the lead biggest player with a market share of about 27%. That's not bad when there are 40 players. And to increase market share so it says you've got to be doing something right. And Medibank has, it's been growing policyholders and it's actually been reducing its operating expenses. And as a result, its underlying health insurance profit was up. Share price has gone a lot higher than I expected, Peter, up to about $3.50. When I looked at it just a couple of months ago, it was just over $3. Mm -hmm. uh, fully frank dividend yep. yield, um, you know, about almost 13 cents a share is forecast next year. That's putting it on a yield of about three and a half, three point six percent fully franked. Um, you know, not the most exciting of industries, but I think when you're a, you know, when you're the market leader in a pretty regulated industry, to grow market share even by that much, uh, you've got to say that management is doing something right, and um, that's what that's the sort of company I like to back. Okay, let's go for your third one. Yeah, look, again, I looked at different fields and I'd go, I'll go into the property field this time. That's the Charter Hall uh, Long Whale REIT. Now, whale is W-A-L-E, stands for Weighted Average Lease Expiry. What that means is that the, the, the type of buildings it's, it owns and the tenants it leases out to 
all do for a very long term. So the type of things it has are things like, uh, you know, it owns, tele, it owns as the landlord telephony exchanges, right? And it leases them back to people like Telstra. It owns a lot of service stations. It owns a lot of uh, con for, uh, convenience stores. There are other sort of assets, you know, it's like storage assets that are all done on a really long-term lease, um, you know, warehouses to really good clients like uh, Woolworths and so forth. Um, and so uh, it's from Charter Hall. So it's about a $5.6 billion REIT. Uh, it's been going up steadily. It's been, it's very well diversified. It's paying a distribution yield of about 6%. Uh, that's unfranked, but, um, you know, a lot less exposure to not so much the commercial sector, um, more towards the, the people that, that take property on a long-term basis. I think it's pretty attractive and it's trading around NTA. So I think there's a bit of value in that. Maybe it's a stock you buy in market weakness. Um, mm -hmm. It does tend to be very low volatility stock at, uh, if you look at the chart. So that's the third I'd nominate. That's the Charter Hall Long Whale REIT. Okay, so if anyone wants to read the full story and get the other two, they should have a look at the Switzer report. They can do a 21 uh, free day trial. And um, if they like it, great, fantastic. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. And that was Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And that's the show for this week. And if you want to get more detailed analysis of stocks that look promising, go to switzerreport.com.au. And by the way, no one on this TV show has paid to present or promote their products. I've selected smart, experienced people to share their knowledge of stocks and the markets. Nothing on this show is meant to be advice, but we hope it's educational helpful and ultimately rewarding. And by the way, we won't be doing the show on Thursday because we have our conference, our listed investment conference over Thursday and Friday. Maybe we'd like to go to that. Just go to the uh, link on the description on the screen. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me.